Praise God. Well, we are here on our Christmas service. We've been in the middle of a series called Adore Him over the last two weeks, and it's going to be closing out this week. I felt like I got a prophetic word from the Lord for us here in the Christmas message. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've stayed. I've told you it's eventually going to make sense. All right, just stay with me. It's eventually going to make sense. And today I pray that the Holy Spirit bring it all together for us. But um, I know you feel like I heard a story about a pastor that came home from a Christmas service and he walked in the house. His wife went straight over to the bedroom and threw herself up on the bed and said, I'm tired. And he's like, you're tired. Why are you tired? He said, I preached two services, two Christmas Eve services last night. I had to preach three Christmas services today. What do you got to be tired of? And she said, I had to sit through them all. So I know some of you guys are probably feeling like that today with the history lesson we've been getting over the last couple of weeks. Because we've been in some, some deep history. But uh, well, we're going to jump back in. I feel like the Lord told me. Going into next year, and you don't got to receive this for yourself. But he told me, if I will learn and on purpose and make the decision to adore him. Going into 2022, not taking for granted, not taking him as tradition, not just taking him as it's always been. But I move into a place of true adoration. Then he was going to move on my behalf for the next year. And so I want to read with you real quick. The story we're coming out of, out of Matthew chapter 2, and it says, And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, What is he who has, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And I'm going to jump down to seven. It says, and then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from what they, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it had come and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him with the gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they divinely, then, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Everybody say another way. All right, we're going to jump into it real quick, and I'm going to drop back just for a minute. Oh, wait a minute. I got the wrong sermon. Can I grab my right sermon? <laughs> Y'all about to hear the same message last week. <laughs> Pastor Yvette, do you all know where to put my sermon at? Can I have your, or Tanya, can I have yours? All right. Praise God. That was last week's. <laughs> Hey, well, we're going to jump in on this one. Going back, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we have dove in back into the history of this story. Because a lot of times I thank you. It's real easy to 
get the wrong idea of what was taking place on this night. You know, we talked about there weren't three kings. History does not record that. We call it three kings because there were three gifts. Which in, honestly, there were not three gifts, there were four. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, today. But we theologians believe that there weren't three kings because when they appeared to Herod, the Bible says Herod was greatly troubled. And three guys on a donkey don't scare kings. And so there had to be more there than just three camel riders. There had to be a whole entourage. Theologians believe that it could have been as big as an army showing up that day. And traditionally, when we see the nativity scene, we see baby Jesus in a manger and we see, you know, the shepherds and we see the wise men all there at the time. Well, you know, here in this text, we just read that Jesus was not no longer in the manger. As a matter of fact, it says that they came to the small child. He wasn't a baby anymore. It says he was living in a house. So time had passed here. And so we had talked about that these kings that we've called kings weren't actually kings. They were actually magi. We talked how they had come from the tribe of the Medes. They were the priestly tribe of the Medes, just like the Levites were the tribe of the children of Israel. And they weren't kings. They were actually king appointers. As a matter of fact, they were sought out and hunted by kings to be advisors because they could interpret dreams. And you know, saying they had abilities and wisdom. And we see them the first place in the scripture in the book of Daniel when they were advising King Nebuchadnezzar. We also talked about how they had spent their life worshiping the God of sun and the God of fire. And that they believed that fire was the power of God. And to where that they had dedicated their life in service to a God of fire. And they'd spent their life serving this God for generations upon generations. And they had affected the entire world because Persia, Babylon, you know, uh, even to Egypt, kings sought these guys out. But they were not kings. They were king advisors not only were they king advisors, they were also king makers. Because Persia had a law that for anyone to be appointed king, before they could be appointed king, that they had to have the magi, they had to do two things. One, they had to live the disciplines and master the disciplines of a magi. And then number two, they had to have the approval and be appointed by the magi before they could be appointed as a king. These were not kings. They were men that kings sought after, and they were men that could actually make kings. But then we talked about how when they got themselves in a precarious situation and they couldn't, they'd gotten themselves in a place where they're about to be killed in the book of Daniel, Daniel stepped up on the scene and saved their life. And when they saved their life, the king put Daniel over the Magi. And so for the first time in history, though, This priestly group that had spent their life serving God. First time in history of their generational ancestry. They were at a place where they actually saw and were positioned into a place where a real God was being involved in their life. And they saw a real God's hand shut the mouth of lions. And they saw a real God step into the fire with his children. 
And this impacted the Magi at such a level because they had spent their life serving a God that never did anything back for them. But then they met the real God. It's amazing the influence that our God can have in our lives and the way it can affect all of those around us. And so for hundreds of years later, these magi had seen actually the hand of a real God. And it wasn't religion anymore. And it wasn't just service anymore. It wasn't a job anymore. It wasn't a suit you put on on Sunday. It was a real God. Actively involved in their lives. And they desired this. And so, history records that as Daniel was their leader, Daniel began to introduce his teachings and began to introduce the prophecies and the Bible of God. And these magi began to study over the years and they began to see that God's plan for them was to have a personal relationship and to be actively involved and that God had put into motion ever since man had sinned a way to get back man and God together. And so they began to look for a sign. We talked about these men were the only ones in the Christmas story that did not have God show up and tell them what to do. It was simply a desire on the inside of them that wanted to be in relationship with God. Mary had an angel pop up. Joseph had God visit him in a dream. The shepherds had angels appear in the sky. All the other Characters in the Christmas story were doing what God had told them. These guys had not met God yet, but they had a desire to want Him in their life. And so they would dig into the Scriptures and try to find where He is. How can I get to Him? Where can I find Him? And then one day, hundreds of years later, they saw a star and it said, God's coming. And so they began to travel and they went. Now, they didn't show up at the birth. As a matter of fact, theologians believe that they, it took, they were on a journey. The Bible just here tells us they came from the east. We don't really know, of course. There are historians that believe they came from Persia and Babylon or however far back. But we do know this. The journey they took was not a short journey. Because when they got to Herod, Herod inquired, when did you see this? And when he, they said, when he said they told him, Herod, on into the story, set a decree to kill every child under the age of two. So theologians believe this trip they took was anywhere from 18 months to 24 months that these guys traveled to find the star. And so it wasn't just a fly to night thing they did. There was a desire on the inside of them. And you know, I know that desire. There's been times in my life where I wanted to be close to God so bad that it would drive decisions and moves I would make. And This was the first time in their lives they had a chance to encounter a living God. So they journeyed and they went. They traveled a long way. And when they got there, they came bearing gifts, the Bible says. Like we talked about, the Bible, um, Matthew didn't tell us in great detail anything about the star. just said a star they followed. He said that there was a star. He said there was a child. But then he went into great detail about... The child, saying he was young and in a house, then went into great detail about the gifts they brought, which he said was frankincense, or was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what these gifts were. Because 
they traveled all this way to get to a place to where they could adore him. We talked about the word adore. does not show up in the Bible. We sing it in the song. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come let us adore him. But the word adore is not in our Bible. But the word worship is. And the reason why we have the word worship in this story, because we did not have a word in the English language that would tell us how powerful of an action they were actually taking. It's actually the word prekineia in the Greek, which actually means an earnest, deep, longing desire from your innermost parts to offer worship out. So that's the closest word we can get to adoration. And so the Bible says they came and they adored him or they worship or they prokinia him. This means something. I'm going to catch you up in just a minute. And the way they did it, the Bible says, was this. First, they saw, says when they walked in, they saw the child. You got to know what you're looking for. So many people go through this life not knowing what they're looking for. They think another relationship can fix it. They think another job will do it. They think another town will do it. You got to know what you're looking for. The Bible says they came looking for a king. You got to decide that you need Jesus to be king of your life. No other thing will do it. No other peg will fit the hole. You were created to have Jesus Christ as your king. And the Bible says they understood this. And so they came and they brought him gold, which is the medal of kings. Gold represented Jesus' kingly position. Now, we talked about kings are born. They're not elected. And so these men traveled because they knew a king was to be born. Now, just because a king is born doesn't change the fact that he's a king, but it can change the fact that he's not your king. If you don't choose to make Jesus your king, he's still king. He's just not your king. And so these guys traveled that whole distance to be able to get to a place to say, Jesus, we want you to be our king because you are king. And we talked about when you make Jesus king, he makes you king. Because in Revelations, it says this. He's not just any king. He's the on his robe, king of kings. The minute somebody makes you, some minute somebody decides that Jesus Christ is their king, Jesus puts on them a royal priesthood and they start becoming king dwellers even here on earth. You can live in the kingdom of God here. And so you make Jesus your king and you become a king because he's the king of kings. And so that's what they did. They traveled and they worshiped and they presented gold saying, you are my king. And then the Bible says that they brought frankincense. And we talked about it last week. Frankincense is a resin that was used for priestly worship to God. As a matter of fact, next it says, you can't burn it for yourself at all. It's a, you'll be cut out from the people. You can only burn this in reverence to God. So it was used by priests for priests to worship God. And so they brought this frankincense to the Lord. And they said, not only are you a king, but you also are what we desperately need. We need a priest. Because priests are ambassadors. They're the bridge builders between you and God. A priest stands before the people and God and represents the people before God. And because we screw up so much and because we've sinned, there was such a great gap between us and God. These kings knew there was no way. Their whole life they've been trying to get to God, but they couldn't get to God. Works don't do it. Being a good guy don't do it. Giving don't do it. But what does do it is a priest to stand in the gap and bridge the way. And the Bible says that Jesus was our high priest. He stood in the gap. He was able, it says he was the perfect high priest because he was 
was fully God and he was fully man. So he understood what it was like to be deity. But he also understood what it was like to be us. And it says he suffered the same temptations we did. So when we're weak, he can go before the Lord and say, God, look at them. They're weak. We need you to help them. And you don't have to be strong. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when you are the weakest, he is the strongest. Because that's what we have. We have a priest that can bridge the gap between between us and God. God couldn't get back and we couldn't get back. But Jesus bridged the gap to bring us back. And for the first time in the history of the Magi, they were looking at their bridge to actually be able to have a relationship with God. And they recognized that this is our high priest and they adore him. And today we're going to talk about the last two gifts. The next one is called myrrh. Now, myrrh is a different kind of a gift, but it's very important. I believe the most important gift that they gave. It's a, it's a weird uh, sap. It's actually an aromatic resin that comes out of a small thorny bush. They cut the side of a bush and it oozes sap. And it's usually a red color. And it dries. And when it dries, it gets extremely hard. They take the resin that is now hard like a rock. They place it there and they smash it. And when it is smashed and crushed, it releases an aroma that is pleasing almost to everyone that smells it. It's such an important ordeal. It's mentioned 17 times in the Bible. It's mentioned 14 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned Three times in the new, in the New King James version, if that's what you do your research on, that's what I did on mine. And the, since the Old Testament was written in a different language than the New Testament, in the Old Testament it was written in Hebrew. The word uh, mer in Hebrew is pronounced is a lot like the way we say it in English, except it's more. We say mer in Hebrew is more. In the New Testament. It's pronounced, they in Greek, because the New Testament is written in Greek, it's Samora, which sounds a lot like the city of Samaria, Samaria. That's important. They called that city Samaria because it was a port city that did trade, and their biggest resource of trade was what we call myrrh, but Samaria, Samaria. It's mentioned in Revelations 2 as one of the seven churches, the church of Samaria, in the end times, Samaria, Samaria, however you want to say it. <laughs> so it's an important thing. And it was used greatly in ancient times. One of the uses for it in ancient days was myrrh was, it was used as a body treatment, a beauty treatment. In other words, it was a spa deal. All right. We see that in Esther chapter 2 verse 12. When it says this, each young woman's turn came to the king, came to go to the king after she had completed 12 months of preparation according to the regulations for women. For thus were the days of the preparation appointed. Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beauty. Back in ancient times, you could not just get a shower and go to the king. There was protocol to walk into the presence of the king. If you showed up in front of the king and he was unpleased with the way you showed up, you could be killed. So people would go through great preparation 
before they walked into the king. And here, the king was about to choose a wife. And when he was going to choose the wife, they took the most beautiful women of the country, young women, and they would put them through a beauty treatment for a year. Wouldn't you like to get that woman for Christmas from your husband? A year passed to the spa, all right, or the nail salon. And they would take, and for six months, they would rub oils of myrrh into their skin. And then for six months, they, it was a year-long treatment to where when they walked into the room where a king sat, there was such an aroma that pleased the king that he would be attracted to it. Now, there's a lot of principles in this that you can take. But see, a lot of people think you can just come to God however you want to. And that's not true. There are protocols into coming before the Lord. And the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. A lot of times we come to God just, you know, angry at somebody or mad. Or, and we don't walk in. We wonder why the king's not responding to us. Because there are protocols coming to the king. When we come into the presence of God with praise and thanksgiving and adoration, God is attracted to this. God lives in atmospheres. And I've got to be honest with you, if you run in your mouth negatively all day long and then you want to get in the presence of God, it's not going to work. There are protocols. And myrrh was one of the ways that would attract the king. And want, the king would want you in his presence. God wants you in his presence. So we have to determine that the protocols that God has laid out before us is important. But then not only was it used as a beauty treatment in the Bible, it also was used as a perfume. Uh, as Psalms 45, it says that a king's garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cessna out of the ivory places by which they have made you glad. In Proverbs 7.12, it says this, The seductress woman that was seducing a young man, it says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Not only was it a beauty treatment, but it was used as a perfume. It was a very seductive perfume. Another thing they used it for in ancient times was it has the properties of a painkiller. It could be used to treat pains. As a matter of fact, still today in places in the world, they use it for toothaches and ankle or um, joint pains. We see it in Mark chapter 15 when uh, Jesus was hanging on the cross, going through everything that he was going through, the pain, the beatings, and now the hanging are there. It says the soldiers looked at him, and you know it had to be bad when your executor trying to make it easier on you. It says, and they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. I believe Jesus did not want to take a chance. You say, Cricket, show it to me. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you my opinion. I believe Jesus did not want to take a chance of what he was doing to not being enough to pay for everything you did and I did. And so he wasn't going to let any painkiller take anything away from the sacrifice that he was willing to take. You know, he could have collapsed at the bottom of the hill and not drugged that cross as far as he could before someone carried it for him. But he didn't. He drugged that thing as far as he could. Jesus took the price as far as he could take it. And they offered him a way to make it easier. And you got to know, your Jesus is no compromiser. He's not going to look for an easy way out. He's going to do it. And when he does it, it's going to be done right. And somebody needs to know this. Jesus is at work on your behalf right now. You're saying, God, I need you to change this thing in my life. I need something to shift here. But the truth is this. 
If you just keep letting Jesus do it, don't look for an easy way out. Jesus is going to do it, and when it's done, it's going to be done right. And it's going to be done better than what you could imagine. So he wouldn't take the myrrh because it was a painkiller. Not only was it used as a painkiller in history, it's also used as an antiseptic. Still today, it's in some toothpastes and some mouthwash. It's one of the best treatments for gum disease there is. And so even now we use it in, as an antiseptic. It's unique to me. I always, it always puzzled me when you, talk, you see the commercials and stuff talking about gum disease and how important it is not to have gum disease because gum disease just don't make your breath stink. Gum disease makes you at risk for a heart attack. And I love the fact that here, that in this story, Jesus, allowed God laying it all out in myrrh, lets me know this just by looking at it. That if I let my mouth be a problem, it affects my heart. Some of us are wanting what God has for us, but we're not willing to deal with what we have in our mouth. And so, because we just think it's just words or our opinion, you don't realize it's doing something in your heart. And it causes heart disease. Heart disease will cut your life short. And so you need to understand that you just can't go around talking how you want to, saying what you want to say, doing it how you want to do it. It matters. But the fifth reason why they used, why they used uh, myrrh in the ancient days was the number one reason it was used for. It was used for an embalming fluid. So in ancient times, Egyptians, would, when they would mummify a body, they would take a body and on the inside of the body cavity, they would rub it with myrrh and myrrh um, oils on the inside of the cavity because they would mummify and want to preserve their dead. Jewish culture did not do it on the inside. They did it on the outside of the body. And we can see it in John chapter 19, verse 39. It says, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. hundred pounds of this stuff to rub it on the body of Jesus. Isn't it unique that when Jesus showed up on the planet, he was presented with myrrh. And when Jesus left the planet, he was presented with myrrh. You need to know something. This is very, very important. This gift is probably the most important gift that was given to Jesus on that day. It represents more than any other gift that was he came, that he was presented with, and uh, Jewish rabbis considered not to just be a a embalming fluid, but they also considered it to represent sacrificial death. When it was used for body care, it was used as sacrificial death. They get this back in the Old Testament because when the word in Hebrew is more. We find a story where Abraham went to the mountain of Moriah, which is translated to as the mountain of myrrh, and was asked to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, on the mountain of Mor, on mountain of myrrh. And so it's amazing to me that when Jesus got ready, to, or God got ready to shadow what he was going to do thousands of years later, Abraham didn't just get to pick a mountain. The Bible says, actually, in Genesis, it says when Abraham was three days from nowhere. Look it up in your Bible. It says three days from nowhere. They had no idea where they were going. And it says he looked up and saw a mountain, and the Lord told him that was where they were to go. They took him to the mountain of myrrh. 
Because it was a shadow that one day that his son was going to be offered up as a sacrifice just as Abraham had to offer his sacrifice. Say, Cricket, you're boring us again. I know. Give me just a minute. See, this gift represents the entire reason why Jesus came. It wasn't what Jesus is. This one tells us why he came. The gold represented that Jesus is king and you need to choose to let him be your king. Then the next gift was Jesus was to be our priest and he was going to have the ability to bridge a gap we couldn't. But this gift represented a sacrificial death. This is the only baby God ever put on the planet with the purpose of death at the point of birth. Jesus, when you were created and born on this planet, has a whole plan. The Bible says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're good, not evil. The plans to give you a future, plans to give you a hope. But not this baby. The moment this baby was born, as a matter of fact, in Revelation 13, it says that he was to be the sacrificial lamb from the foundations of the earth. From the foundations of the earth, this baby was to be born to die. I'm here to tell you, this gift is so important because you can't get saved by just the words of Jesus. You can't get saved by the life that Jesus lived. You can't get saved by the example Jesus laid. You can only be saved by the death that Jesus died. And you need to understand something. He lived a great life. He was an amazing man and he taught great things. But he did not come to teach. He came to die. And from the day he showed up on the planet, there were wise men smart enough to recognize this beautiful baby is my, is my lamb that can, will, will fix my sin. And they came from afar. It was worth the trip to them to be able to stand before because there was no way in history at that point in their life for them to have a relationship and be right with God again unless this baby was willing to die because every one of them deserved to. It's amazing to me in the Christmas story how in detailed God's planning was. I, I was studying this week and I come across Miss Lovey's Facebook page. Miss Lovey, you're not here, so I know you're watching by Facebook, all right? But uh, you, that post you put, man, made me study two more days to make sure that that was right. It is, all right? I want to read this to you. It says, that, it says, I bet you didn't know this about the manger that Jesus was laid in. Of course, mangers are feeding troughs. In every nativity scene, we see that the baby was laid into a feeding trough. But everyone I've ever seen was a feeding trough made of wood. But originally, the feeding troughs were made of stone. And so when we see the nativity scene, it wasn't a wooden animal feeding trough. It was a stone feeding trough. And this is what it would happen. Not, it was a, they were it, feeding troughs, but in ancient Israel, they were made of stone. Not what you would see in modern day nativity scenes. Not comfortable, but for great, but great for protection. That's why those who were experts in this matter, the priests, would put their newborn lambs in them for protection. But not just any lamb. They had to be the unblemished, perfect lambs because the priests needed lambs to offer a sacrifice to atone for people's sin. And so the shepherds in this story they weren't just regular shepherds. As a matter of fact, you had to be a shepherd in Jerusalem. You had to be the best shepherds. And you had to be an expert shepherd 
that could raise flocks that would produce spotless lambs. Because only spotless lambs would be used in the sacrifice at temples. And so the shepherds that were in and around Jerusalem were known for being able to do this. So they had lots of lambs to do. But when a spotless lamb was born, they were of such great value because people needed these lambs to be right with God, to have their sin covered at sacrifice, that they were highly valued. And so they would take them and they would wrap them in cloth and they would put them in the stone manger to keep them safe so that when it came time to sacrifice before the Lord, they had something that could cover their sin. Because it had to be a spotless lamb. And so, when the, it's the only place in the Christmas story that lets us know he was born in a manger. Is when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field. And he said, there's a baby born laying, wrapped in cloths, laid into a manger. The reason why the angels told them that was because the shepherds knew what they were about to go see. Because the only lambs that were laid... In a manger were the spotless sacrificial lambs. And so it was prophetic that Jesus was not just another baby. But this baby was to be born to pay for your sins and my sins. That's why they wrapped him in clothing or cloth and laid him in a manger. And the shepherds knew when the angels said it, this is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. So they said, we must go and we must see. Now... I don't know about you, but what about, have you ever been given a, an odd gift? I have a certain person in my family. I'm not going to tell you who my mother-in-law is, but every Christmas, she would give me gifts like deodorant. And then the first one, I thought, no big deal, you know, she'd be nice. But if I got deodorant every year, I'm starting to think, do you think I stink? I mean, do you think that's what I'm... Or, Underwear, and they would wrap it up. And I'm like, why are you going through the trouble to wrap underwear? You know what I mean? What are you saying with this? And I thought maybe it was just me until she named her dog Cricket. And when she named her dog Cricket, I knew this was on purpose. But I don't know if you've ever been given a weird gift. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph thought when these king appointers they they got the gold? They, I mean, I'm sure they thought, "Wow, that's awesome." And they probably understood because the angels had appeared before Mary and Joseph and told them. why. But when they gave the myrrh, they were looking at a mother and father saying, here's embalming fluid. You're going to need it. Can you see? And my mind goes to, did Mary know the whole time? You know the song, Mary, did you know? Did Mary know the whole time that her son was going to die? There were hints all the way through the scripture. That it was because the angel said he was going to, you know, save the gives um, save the world from their sin. And when they went presenting him to Simeon, Simeon said this: He is going to save the world, but he's going to be rejected by many. And it says, "And Mary, your heart, or your uh, sword is going to be like a sword stabbing into your soul." That would kind of let you start knowing. And then the Bible says this: That you know, my question is, when did Jesus know? Because they were saying the myrrh was the first. When did Jesus know he was going to die? Because I've got to be honest with you. Kids, you know, you think, yeah, Mary, Mary probably told Jesus that, you know, you're, you're the son of God. And, you know what I'm saying, you're going to do all these great things. But I've got to be honest with you. 
My mama told me I was smart. So one day I asked her, then why am I in special ed? Moms will tell you some crazy stuff. And I don't know if Jesus pretended to, you know, it's all, you know, blew off his mother. But the Bible says this about him. The Bible said Jesus found himself in the scripture. He was reading the Bible one day. And I'm sure he was reading in Isaiah. Where it said, you're going to be bruised. And you're going to be beaten. And Jesus started going, man, there's the plan of God for my life. I want to let you know something. If you're tired of wondering what you're here for, if Jesus found himself in the scripture, you're in there too. And if you would get in your scripture and start just saying, God, what do you have for me? Well, there are, there are 7,000 pictures of your future in the word of God. We call them promises. But what those promises say is what your future is supposed to be. You may have walked around your whole life believing what everybody said about you, that you're the tail. But Jesus, you can find yourself in the scripture where God says you're to be the head and not the tail. But Jesus found himself in the scripture. So Jesus knew what he was going to do. But Mary, did they know? And when did they find Did they find out when Jesus started telling them? Or when he started doing it? Or did they find out when he got arrested? But my thing is this. The wise men knew. At the very beginning, because they gave him embalming fluid. Now, you say, Cricket, what does this mean to me? You're just telling us history again. I want to try to bring it in real quick. The gifts they gave all were great symbolic for what Jesus is. thing about it is, Jesus is going to, is going to be this, whether or not, you respond right to it or not. Jesus is king, whether you ever choose him to be your king. Jesus is high priest, whether or not you ever choose to let him be your high priest. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb, whether you ever accept his sacrifice or not. The saddest thing in the world to me would have something available and me not take advantage of it. I mean, I got Christmas presents under my tree at my house right now for my girls. And I put them there specifically for on Christmas morning, them to get up and them open it up and see how daddy has blessed them. So I put my name on it and not Jennifer's. All right. But that morning, God put Jesus in that manger. Because he gave us a sacrificial lamb That was the only way that your price, your sin could be paid. No other baby on the planet could do it. That's why Abraham wasn't able to go on and go through with killing Isaac because Isaac's sacrifice would not have been enough. It took a ram in the thicket. It took a a spotless lamb in the New Testament to cover it. And whether or not you ever understand this about Jesus or not doesn't change the fact that that's what Jesus did. And that's who Jesus is. So my question for us closing this out, like I told you, I believe this is a prophetic message. The Bible said this, that when the wise men saw and found out and presented gifts, 
It says this. It says, this is the first time that they actually had interaction with God. Up to this point, God hadn't spoke to them at all. Up to this point, God hadn't moved in their life at all. Up to this point, but it says, after they gave the gifts, it says, they were divinely warned. God was waiting to step into their situation, but He couldn't do it until the wise men did what it took to adore God. You say, Cricket, I need God in my situation. Then you need to get yourself to a place. I can't hear God, Cricket. I can't see God, Cricket. I can't. Then you need to get to a place where you're adoring God so that He can step into your situation. And it says this the way they came, that means the last two years of their life. And I don't know about you, but COVID and pandemic and everything else, racial tension, everything over the last two years in America has been a hard way to go. And He said this, though. He said, when they did that, God divinely stepped in and it said they went back another way. They didn't have to go back through what they'd done been through. They did not. The last two years will not be what your next two years will be like. You will get, listen, you will get to where you're, they wanted to go home, but God had another way for them to get there. But it wasn't by them just showing up. They had to show up And show out. And I want to show you how they did it. And the question is this. Are you willing? Because it says this. It says when they saw it. If you can get this. If you can see this. Not everybody can see it. See, a lot of us like to sit around and look and hate our own situations. And look around. The Bible says Abraham sat in his own tent looking around at all his possessions. That don't sound like he was having a bad day. But there he was running his mouth saying, But God, you blessed me with all this stuff, but you ain't gave me a son, so my servants are going to get all this when I die. So he was just running, running, running. And this is what God says. says, Step out of your tent. He says, And look up to the sky. And this way he says, If you are able... Some of you just have allowed yourself not to be able to see God for what God is. You're going to have to, the Bible says the wise men showed up and it says they saw the child in the house. You got to see God for who God is. He is king, he is priest, and he is the sacrificial lamb. And this is what the Bible says, they responded in a certain way. The Bible says, so when they saw him, they first saw him. Let me tell you how your circumstance will start changing. You see God different, and you'll start feeling different. The Bible says they saw him, and they were exceedingly glad and full of joy. Man, they just got happy seeing him, and he ain't even done anything yet. That's, that's the way. When you see God, you don't even got to do God ain't even got to do it. If you're waiting for God to do it before you see him able to do it, you may never see God do it for you. But you're going to watch him do it for me because I've decided God is what God said he is, and I'm going to see him for what he is. But then it said this. They said, they were seeing God, it said, they, it said that they bowed down, and then they procrastinated him. Let's talk about the bow down thing, because this is the thing. If you need God to change your future, you've got to get yourself to a place where you can adore Him. And the thing about adoring is worship has a price. Worship is not cheap. And if you're not willing to pay the price for worship, then more than likely... You might show up and see a story, but you're not going to get the change. The shepherds went back to watching sheep. The wise man went another way. 
And so this is what it did. Worship cost. It cost so much that the first three gifts are what it took to actually be the fourth gift that was given. Many theologians believe that there weren't three gifts, but it was four. But it took the first three to make the fourth. Because, see, the fourth gift they gave was they gave the Lord worship. And the way they gave them worship was they were willing to lay down the first three things that they had so that God could have everything that they were. This is what it takes. What did the wise men pay for God to enter into their situation and change it? First thing it took, it took their time and their effort. I'm here to tell you, if you're not willing to give God your time and your effort to get into a place where you can worship Him, then I'm here to tell you, you're probably going to go through a lot of the same things you've done been through. That marriage is going to stay bad. That job is going to stay, stay endless or pointless. That physical, financial, whatever it is. Because, see, they were willing to travel for two years to a place they'd never been because they knew there was a chance that they were going to get to worship God, a king. And to be truthful, there's a lot of days can't even talk me into going to church on Sunday. But I want God to bless me. Or we won't drive across town. Or, you know, one Sunday a month is good enough. I want you to know something. Anytime your worship is convenient, you didn't pay enough to adore. I have to decide that I gotta, I gotta, if, if I'm just, you know, I gotta be honest with you, if I give you just anything, then it's not a true gift. True, David knew it. He said, David came to, the guy said, I need the trees to build the temple. And the guy said, I'll give you the trees. And David said, no, 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 no. I can't ever give God anything that don't cost me something. David was a real worshiper. He knew that the Sunday you don't want to be here is the Sunday that would be adoration before the Lord. The Sunday you don't want to get up and come and worship God with others. You say, well, Cricket, how do I know God's even going to be there? Because if at least two people show up, the Word of God says He's going to be here. And you got a chance every Sunday to walk into the presence of God. And all, but you got to be willing to put in the time and the effort. Next, it says they bowed down. Do you understand what this was? These were king makers. Kings bowed to these guys. And they bowed before this child. Why? Because they knew their place. They knew that this isn't no earthly king. This is the king of kings. And no matter how big or how bad or how strong we've become, that we will never be better or greater than this child. So they took everything they'd spent their life being. Another way to say it is, they took their dignity. Worship will cost you your dignity. There's some people that say, you know, Cricket, I'm just not a hand raiser. I know, I understand that. But then some people say, I'm not a hand raiser. And it's not that they're not. Because God gave you hands so you can raise. So the Bible says, Son, we can raise our hands before the Lord. All right, so He gave you hands to raise. But it's your dignity that would keep your hands crossed. 
God gave us knees to bow. But some say, well, Cricket, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Just wait. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so you can choose now to worship before you get to a place where you don't got a choice in it. And so when you bow, you're showing God that, God, no matter how big I've become, I know I've only become big because of you. God, no matter how great I am, I'm only great. No matter what I have, they knew their place. They knew without Jesus, they were nothing. And so they were willing to let it cost them their dignity. And they bowed in the dirt. And they put their face to the ground. And these were powerful men. Next thing it cost was relationships. They had to choose when they bowed before the king that the kings that they were running around with, Herod and the others, they weren't going to be able to go back and be with them anymore. Because that ain't true. The Bible says, see, Herod was a fake worshiper. He said, tell me where they are so I can go worship him. He was wanting to kill him the whole time. Man, you better get very aware of the people that you're with. Because true worship means you don't hang out with who you want. You hang out with those that are going to worship with you. And if they're not going to worship with you, then they don't need you. you need to, that needs to be a price that you pay. You get them out of your life. Because adoration is a gift. Fourth, and this news makes a lot of people mad. They understood worship costs money. And you know this, I usually like, Pastor says, I usually don't like to talk about money, but I learned this a long time ago. That if I stayed reserved back about money, then there's a chance that somebody might not know what we're really talking about. There are three conversions, they say, that happen when you get saved. Number one is the conversion of your heart. Number two that takes more time is the conversion of your mind. Number three that is the hardest conversion of most is the conversion of their wallet. These kings knew that giving a gift is not just giving, but giving is worship. It's adoration. If it doesn't cost me something, then I'm just going through the motions and I'm just doing religious work and all of that won't do you any good. You will find yourself living the same way, doing the same things and working twice as hard to try to get back to God, but worshiping the bridge builder and the king of kings and the sacrificial lamb. When you give financially, the Bible says God sees it. God sees it. You say it don't matter. The woman that gave the two mites, Jesus was like, whoa, check that out. Did y'all see that? Nobody else saw it because it wasn't enough. But Jesus did. Because she was saying, I want to worship you with all that I am. To be honest with you, I'm blessed. I'm blessed now in my life more than I've ever been blessed financially. But I'm going to tell you, it's not because I'm a real smart guy. My mama lied. I was in special ed. I'm blessed because I've decided that I'm going to worship God with anything He gives me. And if I will worship Him with anything, if I let God, He don't mind giving me more because He loves worship. God loves worship so much that every time I bring my gold and give it to the Lord to worship, 
He said, give that boy some more so we can do that again. Give that boy some more so we can do that again. And I'm going to be honest with you. I got some now. And I'm not ashamed of it. Because I come every week to say, God, here, let me worship you with my finances. And he says, give that boy some more. So I start expecting to get more so I can come away. Bob says he gives seed to the sower. Because I want to worship God in adoration. It's got a cost. And the fifth thing is this. True adoration is going to cost you a change in life's direction. You can't do and go the directions you want to anymore. I'm a firm believer in this, that you're born with your destiny on the inside of you. Obviously, God's put eternity in the heart of every man. But also, God gives you the desires of your heart. The reason why you dream about doing the things you dream about is because God put those desires on the inside of you. The thing about it is, we live in a day where we like GPSs and we don't want to know how to get somewhere. We want to know where we're going so we can put our address in and find out our own way to go. Our maps let us pick which one and how fast we get there. But see, Jesus is this. He says, I want you to get where your heart wants to be. But you're going to have to understand You're going to have to go the way I'm sending you, not the way you want to go. And so things in your life direction has to change. In other words, I don't go to work anymore to get my check that they're going to pay me. I go to work to be an influence on my job. And everybody there is going to know about my king, my priest, and my sacrificial lamb. And while I'm there, I'm there for another reason. I don't go to Walmart just to get a loaf of bread anymore. I go to Walmart looking for where God may direct me to talk to somebody and tell him about my king, my priest, or my sacrificial lamb. I don't just decide how, when, and where. I ask God. Because check this out. Check this out. This is the prophetic where me and Wade were talking about it yesterday. When you let God change the direction you're going, the Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Let's break it down real quick. Ordered means one, two, three. Sequentially. When I let Him be my sacrificial lamb and I become the righteous God of Christ, He says this, I'm going to start putting things in order. Putting things sequentially in place so that you can succeed. Then it says this, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. He's going to begin to reprioritize things. He's going to put them in priority order. And... He's going to have me go away sometimes that I feel like are a step back, but they're really a step forward because He gets to choose the priorities of each step. Then it says this. It says the steps of the Lord are, the steps of the right are ordered by the Lord. He gets to be the commander. He's the general. I don't get to make the choice. I don't choose who I marry. I let God tell me, is this the right person? I don't choose where I work. I let God tell me, is this where I'm supposed to be? I don't choose. I, I understand that he's boss. And when I do that, check this out. The Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. If he says, take this step, and I go to take a step, and there is no step there. Do you realize that scripture does not say the righteous are ordered to take steps? It says this, the steps. In other words, what's supposed to be right there, if it's not, before my foot hits there, God will tell it to get there. My foot will not fall. He will put a step where I go to step if I'm stepping where He tells me to step. All I got to be willing to do is let Him be 
what he came to be. And my job by doing that is by me making the choice to adore him. Let me go back to this one thing. This is the prophetic words you got to hear. Going all the way back to that gift of myrrh on the sacrificial mountain, the mountain of myrrh. Abraham went where he didn't know he was going. He was going to do something he didn't want to do. But he was obeying God when it made absolutely no sense. And he was willing to worship God at a level that sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice was going to be paid. And this is what the Bible says. When he was worshiping, that was worship. When he began to worship, God stopped the entire situation, gave him back what he had sacrificed on the altar, and put a ram in its place. This is a prophetic word, I'm telling you. If you'll go out of this year into next year, deciding whatever worship costs me this year, what I have given up or lost in the past, God's going to replace it with something that's even more precious than I could imagine. So, what I got to do is this. I got to decide. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to worship you, God. At whatever cost, I'm going to worship you. Not just what I'm going to bring a sacrifice of praise. And God's going to put rams in your thickets. He's going to open doors you can't open. He's going to bring king appointers into your situation and bring gifts into your laps. But simply because, not that we're the smartest, our mama's lied to us, but because we have worshipped and adored Him. And that's what He came to receive. So this is our thing. We're about to walk out and I'm done. This has been our closing song. Maybe you've not been there. Maybe something's been holding you back. Maybe what you're going through. I'm here to tell you. That thing you think God has cost you. Or that thing that God has held back from you. It's connected to your adoration. It's connected to your adoration. You decide to go out of this year. In an adoration heart. Greater than you've ever went. Desiring to worship God more than you ever have. I'm telling you. You'll go into next year. With that ram. That you have so long. Can you imagine every step Abraham went up that mountain saying, God, please give me a ram. Please give me a ram. There's someone, please give me a job. Please give me a job. Please give me a job. Someone said, please give me, you know, health, health, health. Baby, baby, baby. Marriage, marriage, marriage. Mate, mate, mate. What? But I'm telling you, when he got there and he quit begging, you know he was begging. I would be. And he just simply worshiped. God gave him the ram that he desired. Your word. Go out of this year worshiping, adoring at a level that he deserves. And you'll go into next year possessing what you desire him to do in your life. Father God, I ask you to take your word, embed it in our hearts. Don't let the enemy steal it away. And Lord, cause us to become wise men. Cause us to become wise men and do what wise men do. And that is adore. You, you got three minutes. In the next three minutes, open your heart up in a way to adore Him like you have never adored Him before. Let's worship Christmas like these men did.
Oh.